You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. This morning's reading is called High Flight by John Gillespie McGee, Jr. Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things you have not dreamed of, wheeled and soared and swung high in the sunlit silence. Hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up the long, delirious, burning blue, I've topped the windswept heights with easy grace, where never lark nor ever eagle flew. And while with silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touched the face of God. This was High Flight by John Gillespie McGee, Jr. The first time I flew a plane, I was pretty sure I was going to die. Now, before you worry about me having a very expensive hobby, I got my flight lessons on sale with a Groupon. And as much as I had visions of one day owning my own aircraft and just taking off wherever I'd like to, outside of those initial lessons, it was expressly forbidden by my husband. So that first time I flew a plane with my discount flight lessons, The same week, several small aircraft in Kentucky had incidents. Both my husband and I were feeling very optimistic about my survival chances. I read the classic aviation manual, Stick and Rudder. Many of you might have read that. I watched YouTube videos. It's great to learn anything, even about flying a plane. I read about experiences on Reddit, which is a hit or a miss. And I finished ground school where the instructor spent most of his time telling us, you'll be fine, don't worry about it. I was ready. Things were feeling great. All the ands, ifs, and buts aside, this was happening. Even after having to reschedule that first flight about three times due to the weather, I was convinced it would be okay. There was nothing in the tea leaves to read here. And still, that moment that engine started up, I knew I made a big mistake. (laughs) Here's what TV, the movies, and video games get wrong about flying a plane. In all of those, they portray a relatively serene experience. Perhaps a few bumps here and there, the engine will hum gracefully. I'm always astounded at how well people can both hear and speak on planes and movies especially in the cockpit. Real life is another matter altogether. The moment that engine starts up, it feels like the propeller is going to tear through that cockpit any second, like a massive mechanical bringer of doom ripping through the metal at lethal speed. Have I inspired you to take flying lessons this morning? (laughs) The entire craft shakes violently and the 
reality of your life's decisions sets in. <laughs> Being someone who's six foot four, I was also feeling rather confined. Now, I'm not claustrophobic, but on a sunny Kentucky summer day when you seal those little windows and a hot whirring engine is shaking everything around you, you start to wonder if perhaps you're claustrophobic after all. <laughs> So here I was in a well-loved Cirrus SR-22 aircraft, and well-loved is a nice way of put saying that it was a little worse for wear, with the engine surely ready to destroy me on a hot, sunny day, feeling so ill-prepared for what was about to happen, and the instructor telling me, go for it, over the headphones. As you begin to make your way down the runway, line up for takeoff, you realize there's nothing else you can do. This is it, fly or die. It all sounds so dramatic putting it that way, but really that's what's going through your mind. And then the tower gives you the all clear. Takeoff is as rumbly and as shaky as you could imagine. All sorts of things fly through your mind. Is this craft really going to protect me from the wind above? The freezing cold air? Why am I flying in a giant hunk of metal? Why on earth did human beings think this was a good idea in the first place? <laughs> this is happening. Now, all of that aside, I love that surge of adrenaline. I love butterflies in my stomach. It's one of those things that if you love it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Despite all of that inner dialogue about how foolish I was and how doomed I was, there was a part of me that was absolutely enthralled. This hunk of metal barreling down a runway, gaining speed, and suddenly the rattling eases. The loudness of the engine gets muffled. All feelings of connection to the ground beneath you cease. And there it is. You take flight. Another lie the movies, TV, and video games teach us. Controlling a plane is not done with sudden movements. No, 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 no. The tiniest twitch of your wrist could have you nosediving or suddenly enveloped in clouds a thousand feet higher with zero visibility. How do I know this? Well, <laughs> my instructor wasn't too happy with my choice of altitudes as he swiftly got us out of a nosedive and got us out of the clouds too. It was terrifying and wonderful all at once. Flying high above and around Fayette County and seeing Manowar Boulevard, New Circle, felt like the best way to get around town. Seeing other planes ascend and descend was a marvel, and that sudden jolt of turbulence here and there, and the fortitude it took to just try to fly level. It was a constant practice in patience and endurance. And knowing that no matter how much I learned to love being high above all the worries of life below, I still had to land. <laughs> it was a sobering reminder to enjoy the moment. Now, I didn't perish on that flight, obviously. Landing was not my strong suit. And true to my word, I have not taken a flight since. So my husband can rest easy, though he knows I'll surely take up some other risky hobby at some point or another. Through that experience, I did gain a deep appreciation for the art of flying. For even something we might call an art, it requires discipline, commitment, curiosity, and stewardship.
discipline because you cannot take flight without knowing the nuts and bolts. You should start with knowing the difference between yaw, pitch, and roll. Commitment because you can't take flight only half of the way. You need to see it through. Imagine if your pilot on your next flight decided to go on a lunch break while you're on takeoff. What would that be like? Curiosity, because the mind will take you places you didn't imagine. And there's much to learn in any practice or hobby or experience before us. And with curiosity, we open up doorways to awe and wonder. And stewardship. Taking flight requires an entire ecosystem of people to do their part in order for the thrill of flying to even be possible. What an apt image for church life. This Sunday is, of course, the kickoff of our stewardship campaign, a time of the year when we set our priorities, imagine what's possible, and commit to taking flight as a congregation. Now, I say this every year, but it's true. Some of you, knowing this sermon is now about money, are going to tune out. If you're on Zoom, perhaps you're going to walk away. It's one of the most amusing things about churches. They never like to talk about money, but they have to. And the more you talk about it, the more it is normalized. The more we're honest about what it takes for such a place as this to exist, the more we're honest about the entire ecosystem of people it takes to keep this place running the easier it becomes. And we also have to be honest every year that this place doesn't survive on compliments and good vibes alone, but those certainly help. So this is your yearly reminder that if you find yourself experiencing shame or guilt or all the unease and other feelings that you have about talking about money, great, you're in good company. Let's all be uncomfortable together. That's the real joke though. If most if not all of us are uncomfortable talking about money in a church, then there's really nothing to worry about, right? We're all feeling the same thing. Great. No shame, no guilt. Now I've wondered, what on earth am I going to talk to you about after two years of a pandemic? The emergence of the climate crisis and the political and social unrest facing our democracy. Many of you have shared with me how challenging it is to find hope how you wonder what on earth literally is awaiting us and what could we possibly do? Those thoughts, those feelings, those are the butterflies in the stomach, the worries, the doubts on the runway and a small plane rattling violently. It is natural to have those feelings. We'd have them whether or not we were living in a time such as this. They'd surely be different, right? But nonetheless, they'd still be there in some way. This Stewardship Sunday is not an invitation to despair. It is not an invitation to dwell on the state of the world. It's an invitation to get real about what this place is and could be. And to be honest, that we've been sitting on the runway for a long time now. How could we not be? The world experienced two years of significant upheaval, but now it's time to take flight to not surrender to what awaits us, to put everything we know and love and hold dear into lifting off into the horizon. Now that's lofty language, no doubt, right? Flying metaphors beg for it, but it's also real and gritty. We can tremble on the tarmac 
Some trembling is natural. It will always happen. But we must take off or we'll eventually languish or stall out. We can always sit and wonder, right? We can wring our hands about how we don't have enough, or we can know that we do have enough. We have the skills. We have the know-how. And we have everything we need to take flight into a new chapter for this place. So what awaits us as the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington? Nothing if we keep talking about what we don't have. Churches often get trapped talking about what they lack. In minister and churchy speak, it's called a scarcity model of church. The words can't, don't, lack, not enough spring up in that kind of a church. And if we're honest, there's always going to be hard realities churches have to face. This church, it's always the HVAC units. But here is my hope that we as the UU Church of Lexington will talk about what we do have. I don't want to meet with anyone this stewardship season that wants to tell me what we lack. Tell me what we do have, what is possible, and how we can make it happen. Because a church that continues to dream and believe in itself is a church that will endure. A church that will reach people with its values. A church that knows it is so much more than this moment, this Sunday, but a span of moments from its very inception into the future that will save lives, bring hope, and comfort those in need. We don't talk too much about this as a tradition, but Unitarian Universalism does save lives in a very real, present, embodied way. For everyone that thought there wasn't hope and found it here, for every LGBTQ person who was told they were not worthy and discovered worth and dignity here, for every woman who has doubted her own prophetic power and discovered it in our congregations, for everyone who escaped a damaging religious past that kept telling them they were less than worthy. And that list goes on and on. But that is why we must take flight. In 2022, I feel like I have a pretty easy job as a Unitarian Universalist minister. I no longer have to tell you why our values matter. You should know that more than ever. Why our eight principles, why our covenants, why our nurturing and education of our children and youth, why our gathering together matters. But what I do find us all up against is worry, fear, doubt. While those are natural feelings, I have them too every single day. We cannot let them take control. When our hopes and dreams are at the center of everything we do here, yeah, there'll still be fear. There'll still be worry. There'll still be doubt. There'll even be tinges of hopelessness that stir. That'll happen. But with our core rooted in celebrating what we have and who we could yet be, that is where we need to be. Now, I don't know about you, but I've visited a lot of religious communities in my life. And there's two types that I remember the most. The communities that are driven by fear and the communities that are driven by hope. You can almost smell it when a community is operating out of scarcity and fear. And the joy that I've witnessed in communities that choose to celebrate the abundance they already have, I have almost been taken in and converted by Lutherans, Mennonites, Episcopalians, Baptists, and several other communities. <laughs> I was ready to ride that joy with them. 
because they centered it. They centered gratitude, celebration, and they talk about what's possible. They might say, no, but let's look at what's possible. And when the takeoff is rough, and it always will be in some way, communities like that know that they are not in, a, in it alone, that they always will get through it, and they know it's so worth it. So I'm done with scarcity. I'm done telling you about everything we don't have. And instead of problems facing us, we have opportunities. Here's another thing about money in churches that I believe wholeheartedly, and it's that we need to be honest. Here's a little honesty right now. 37% of our pledge base gives zero dollars to the church. That might sound like a problem this morning. Some of you are going to walk away going, oh my God, that's a problem. But what a great opportunity to build a culture of stewardship. But I'm serious. You just shift that perspective from problem to possibility, and it changes everything. Guilt, shame, away with that. But instead, all of us should be motivated to tell each other, to tell one another, to tell everyone why this place is worth supporting and building and continuing. That is what we are called to do. To simply shift our thinking from not enough to what's possible. And there will always be those who choose to not be a part of this wondrous journey. And that's great. Fine. But as a people, we can say with clarity and with joy, this is where we are going. You can come along if you'd like. Hop on board because this flight is about to take off. This flight is ready and ready to take off to be a beacon of support that supports a woman's right to health care. It's ready to take off and be a refuge for those facing rejection because of who they love. It's ready to be a laboratory of hope as we confront injustices in our society, a rallying point for the love we are called to unleash on the world, a place of Sabbath and sanctuary and renewal to heal and nurture our souls, a community that continually seeks the beloved each and every moment. Are you ready for takeoff? Your church, your community, your spiritual home awaits your gifts, your passion, and your stewardship. And we are ready. We've always been ready. If anything, a minister is not even on the plane when you take off. I'm tra air traffic control, right, folks? And you are ready for takeoff. I've been here over seven years now, and over those seven years, we've had similar challenges, but we've always had the possibilities before us each and every one of us. And so again, are you ready for takeoff? Are you ready to unleash your love on the world, to tell people why this place matters, and to give of your time, your talent, and yes, we say it always, your treasure abundantly for a place such as this that will continue to speak and live our values into the wider world. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.